0: and reading at their very best are a social experience. Whether it be a book club, a poetry slam, or the production of a play, words are meant to be shared. I'm your host Amy. And I'm your host Carrie. We've been in a book club together for over a decade and enjoy talking about what we're reading, but in so many ways we are opposites. Carrie is a cat lover, but I'm a
1: dog nut. Amy loves a good party, while I prefer to wear my fuzzy socks while introverting on the
0: couch. But books are the tie that binds. Each week, we have fun conversations with interesting people about how books and reading influence their lives. We will find out what books are on their nightstands and ask them about five things that make them who they are. We invite you to
1: learn more about the many perks of being a book lover.
0: When we recorded with our guests for today's episode over a month and a half ago, we had no idea how timely our discussion would be. Our topic today is mortality. The vast majority of people probably don't like talking or thinking about that topic, but with COVID-19 confronting us every day, it's a subject that's certainly taking up space in our heads. But what we discover during our discussion is that thinking about death also makes you think about the joys of life and humanity, and that's something we can all use more of. Justin Magnuson and Rebecca Sturgeon are co-moderators of a book club called the Long Before the End Book Club, that started as part of the Before I Die Festival in Louisville, Kentucky. They are an organization that, along with other groups like Bevival and the Traeger Institute at the University of Louisville, promote discussions about the end of life through a variety of means, including the arts. While it may seem bleak, the Long Before the End Book Club gives members a chance to be honest in a safe space in which everyone is in a shared boat of limited life. Justin and Rebecca talk to us about how every book we read is a little bit about death, how their book discussions help members get through hard conversations with loved ones, and how it has been a gift to form a community by connecting with people they wouldn't ordinarily meet. Under normal circumstances, their book club meets once a month at a local coffee shop. The COVID-19 pandemic has recently made it necessary for the book club to use distance technology for their book discussions. Toward the end of this episode, Carrie checks back in with Justin to find out how their book club is adjusting and thoughts on how the pandemic is affecting the way we live and the way we die. We have Justin Magnuson
1: and Rebecca Sturgeon, and they are the co-hosts of Long Before the End Book Club, and they're going to tell us about the book club and also what they do professionally. So welcome to
0: both of you. Thanks for having
2: us here. It's great to be here.
0: Thank you. So tell us a little bit about yourselves.
2: So we met through a mutual friend. We yeah. we are both massage therapists by vocation. Mm-hmm. And Rebecca moved the town almost three years ago. Yeah. And so our friend Jill Cole from yeah. Lexington, who is an oncology massage therapist and a general just all-around great person, yep. introduced us out of our shared interest in massage.
3: It was mostly our shared interest in death, actually. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, because I was talking to Jill at a conference and told her I was moving back to Kentucky. And it was a few weeks later. She was like, wait... You work with dying people. I know this person who works with dying people. You two should talk to each other.
0: Here we go. So that brings us to your book club, which we haven't actually said what the focus of your book club is, but now's a good time.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so the long before the end book club. All of the themes of our books have death as a piece of the puzzle Mm -hmm. but really it's a book club about life yeah and how we incorporate these stories and how we relate to it
3: yeah and and how an awareness of the fact and reality of death impacts your life and how you live your life in my opinion 100 percent of the books that are written are about death in some form or another
2: but. either avoiding it or seeing how you incorporate it right. or it's a thrust in some part of the plot yeah. or a motivating factor. The Long Before the End is just like an the idea that this is part of our story. Yeah. And, and, and Bevival is a, an organization that offers workshops and information around end of life. And the Long Before the End book club started as an online platform. And we were the yeah. first group to try and do a, a public version of it. And that was over two years ago.
3: Yep. We just did a list of all the books
0: that we read. And I think we're at 29. <laughs> <laughs> so how did it go from being an online book club to an in-person book club?
2: So Rebecca and I, we met in the spring mm-hmm. and then I host a series of events called Before I Die Fest. And we thought, Let, let's try and do an, um, an in-person book club in October as part of Before I Die Fest. And so that was October of 2017. And then over the next couple of months, I think we eventually just started slowly adding people.
3: Two became three, and then and then my dad started to come, and it became four. And yeah, we've got a good regular group, some of whom have been with us for over two years.
1: I'm one of those weird people who, or maybe, maybe I'm weird like you all, in that I just sort of love death not that I'm you know looking forward to it necessarily <laughs> but I'm intrigued by it it doesn't bother mm. me to talk about it so what do you feel like people come to your book club to get and what is the inspiration with revival but also you know what you all do each month talk a little bit about the inspiration for it and then mm. also what you feel like The attendees get
3: from a personal aspect that because my dad is one of the regular book club members we've gotten a lot of really deep conversations about no this is what i want the end of my life to be like that most families don't have so that's like from a personal level that gift and i think some of the attendees get that as well they get the beginning of that or how to do that or how to approach that with family members who may be resistant. They also get a place that's safe, welcoming, loving, to be really vulnerable about things that are scary. We're pretty diverse in age, I think. So we have some people who are, you know, in the last third of their life. Who knows? And some people who are in the middle of their life and some people who... Maybe they're never going (laughs) to die.
2: So so the vulnerability piece. We had a a pair of sisters heard about it online, and they just showed up for a meeting, and basically have been coming ever since. And I was a little concerned that they were going to be freaked out at how just open we were about Mm -hmm. talking about our personal lives and our personal experiences. And they just dove in, and from the from the get go. And so we had been meeting for two years, and so we had kind of established this container. And all of a sudden these new people come in and it's like you want it to feel welcoming and safe. I think the safety piece is a big part of this. But they just dove right in and they contribute. And that's what I love is hearing people's perspectives and hearing people's life stories and just realizing how rich it can be. Sometimes we don't talk about the books. The themes of the book, we'll just kind of riff on it and then we'll Mm -hmm. have to kind of draw people back or at least try to.
3: Yeah, or, or not try to because really the, the book is the springboard and what's really important is the conversation that arises from the book. I mean, I think we've had whole meetings where we've all read the book or mostly read the book, but we don't really talk about the book. What we're talking about is what's in our hearts and our minds and how the book stirred that up. And yeah. One
2: thing that I love is there's very seldom consensus on whether yes. or not we like the book <laughs> and, and yeah. books that... One of us will really love, yeah. almost a diametrical, as much as you love it, somebody else will despise it.
3: <laughs> are you thinking about Lincoln and the Bardo? Well, I'm thinking, I'm thinking about Lincoln
2: and the Bardo, and I'm thinking about we know how this ends. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Where yeah. you and I are in the, in the same camp for yeah. both books, and, and somebody else in the group was just the exact Completely same Completely the opposite. But like our last book, Spoon River, yeah. was one that, if I didn't have somebody else to make me want to read it, Mm-hmm. I, I really needed accountability with that. And I find some books I don't finish because it's such a challenge. Yeah. Like Lincoln and the Bardo, as much as I enjoyed it, yeah. it took me two-thirds of the book to get into it
1: yeah,
2: and find my place in it conceptually because it's so abstract. And so there's a lot of times where it's like I'll be struggling either just in my own personal life of like, oh, I've got one more thing to do, right. or right. The, the layers of Spoon River where yeah. it's like I can't find the meter. Or because each one's just like an individual voice. Yeah, it's like how does this? Re- oh yeah, this related to somebody two mm-hmm. pages back yeah. or ten pages back, and so there's yeah. multiple layers of management.
3: Well, it's true, and there there are some books definitely that I would absolutely never pick up if they hadn't been book club books and even the ones that I didn't enjoy or you know quite as much as others I've still gotten something
0: out of everything how do y'all choose the books that you do
2: (laughs) it's a
1: zeitgeist
2: (laughs) we get to the end of the session and it's like okay what do we want to read next month and somebody will either have read about something in the New York Times or heard about something through a friend
3: I feel like what happened at our last meeting, you know, we didn't have the book for March picked. And at some point during the meeting, I think Justin had mentioned something about Atul Gavande wrote Being Mortal. And somebody said, wait, have we read that in this club? No, we haven't. All right, let's read that in March.
2: Inside, I was trying to avoid things that are too on the nose. Yeah. Like the hot book of the month. Right. Is something that we've never really gone for. I mean, we've no. read some top bestsellers. Yeah. But we're not the Oprah book club which is fine (laughs) Oprah does wonderful things but we don't want to read something just because it's sexy right? I I don't I don't
0: either well I think it's interesting what you said that you pick books that are about death but almost any book has an aspect of death to it it's almost like love right like it's a a universal experience so would you say that the, the books that you often pick death is just like one small component or are they like the one you were just talking about no, I totally being being mortal. One is very focused on dying and yeah. death, but are all of them that focused? Spaceman of
2: Bohemia or the well, vegetarian. And she's, and she's
0: come undone. And she's yeah.
2: yeah. Well she's the like come undone. I mean death shows up in her life a lot. Yeah. But spaceman of Bohemia, it, it's sort of there in the. It's like his own mortality. Like he is going into doing this thing for his country, right? And there's this death of his relationship, and he
3: could and he could die and, doing and, the thing. Yeah,
2: yeah. And, and you're still not quite sure how it ends. Yeah, I'm still not quite sure how. Yeah, that, that's what no, I like, that's
0: why I love it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> or the, yeah, or the vegetarian. I mean, the death is in the, the backdrop from her behavior.
3: That book I saw is her reaction to death in her case the death of animals but it was like a reaction to what she saw as too much death who um, wrote that Han Kang, i think it's a korean author yeah
2: we've read a lot of books that have been translated yeah which that book was translated all quite on the western front mm-hmm. yeah the plague yeah. albert camus, camus, camus. 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 Yeah. Heard, like, like the korean author i never would have read that book right but then i'm like how close did they get to the author's intention
1: so mm-hmm. have you noticed that American writers are a little more squeamish about dealing with death? I have read, like, Caitlin Doty's books, oh, yeah. And, yeah. and those are very much very graphic yeah. about death, mm-hmm. which I like, but that is definitely not a lot of people's cup of tea. What
2: part of Before I Die Fest is including the arts in this conversation, because realizing that death and dying are things that show up in the arts a lot shows up in music, it shows up in poetry, it shows up in paintings, it shows up in theater. And so seeing yourself in a story, or relating to a story, and making the connection. So if we were going to say, well, we're just going to talk about death. It's like there's nothing to react to, other than other people's minds. But if you put something out there that is an object, presented artistically people can go, oh my gosh, like this reminds me of my grandmother's cooking, which reminds me of my grandmother's death. Mm-hmm. Or this reminds me of how something ended. And then you start the conversation from there. And so I think death shows up a lot. Think about just how many cop shows that involve often gratuitous death. It's like mm-hmm. we can see it out there, but we don't really talk about it. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. finding a way that you can interact with something that's done artfully. Atul Gawande, Caitlin Dodi, Those are the big two that people are like, oh my gosh, you need to read this book. And and it's like, well, maybe. (laughs) Let's see what else is out there because it it shows up
1: a lot. So there's big death, the end of life, but there's also, I mean, life is a series of little deaths. Yes. You know, like endings. So how much does that play a role in your discussions? That's
3: that's everything. Really, because we do, we talk a lot and that's part of the vulnerability that people bring to the group and the safety of the group. I feel like people in this group have been really honest and really open about things like, you know, the ends of marriages, you know, relationships breaking up, mistakes they've made, loss of pets, you know, stuff that is not like the big D death. You don't exist on this planet anymore, but it's still death. It's like a little rehearsal, I guess, for the end of everything. And I think part of what makes this group special to me is that this is a place where you can really just... Be open about that and talk openly about, no, seriously, everything ends. Everything ends. And it doesn't matter how beautiful or how precious or how much you care about it or how much you put into it. It's all going to end. What matters is how you show up for that.
2: Do you mind if I talk about your experience a little bit? No, go ahead. So, So like two things that I've seen as tangible outcomes of this, we're having a discussion we read a book uh, how not to die alone and somebody in the group rebecca's father was like well if i die by myself i don't care and i was like you might not care but is there anybody at this table that might care that you died alone and like all of a sudden it's like oh well i never considered that and so all of a sudden it starts changing this like well how do i check in with someone to make sure that i'm still alive right another person someone very close to them died and somebody in the group emailed me yesterday and said, hey, how do I contact them? I have food for them, and I want to bring it to them. So little things like that, where it's like you can talk about your own perspective, your own needs, and then someone else can say, I can do this for you, Mm -hmm. or this is my values. But then all of a sudden, it's like, oh, I didn't consider how someone else might feel.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: And so I think that that's really functional use of time and, and creating community and reciprocity
3: right I mean we're not a support group that's not what we do we're, you know that's not how we advertise ourselves at all but it is supportive I think it's a community of people like vastly different people other than Justin and my dad I don't know any other way I would have gotten to know any of these people who are in the group but now I kind of feel a responsibility for them in a good way. And I think that they do for us as well.
2: So there's yeah. someone in the group that's been coming to Before I Die Fest since the first year in 2016. And this person is getting up there in age. They're probably in their mid to late 70s. And mm-hmm. at some point, I was just like, you know, I've been seeing you once a month for the last two and a half years. If something happens to you, I wanna know. Mm-hmm. We don't text or chat with each other, right. but how do I get like in the loop? So that if something happens to you, you don't just disappear, mm. and, and that's really functional. You know, you start to care about people
0: yeah.
2: in a way that you know these are people I would not have interacted with otherwise.
0: So is there a particular format that your group uses for the discussion?
2: We just show up and start talking. There are
3: some months where I feel like I really got it together and I'll walk in and I'll be like, okay, I'm going to ask this question and I'll sit down and ask the question and then we'll go where, where we go.
2: It's Very tangential. Yeah. And sometimes you're, you're much better at having like <laughs> questions and, and reactions where I just like, well, what's the way in? And sometimes <laughs> we start at the end, which is kind of a weird place to start. Um, i I don't know
3: i think that sounds perfect because long before the end my understanding of is is that we want to have these conversations long before the end no
2: spoilers but like frank ostensky the co-founder of the zen hospice says in his book the five invitations basically you don't start the work of a lifetime at the very end and i'm butchering that horribly but that's the, the idea is like you need to be fleshing this out and if you wait until you're on your deathbed right well i mean you've sat with people who are dying Mm -hmm. you know people aren't on their deathbeds uttering like just really brilliant things and coming to peace with everything if they haven't been working on that for a while
0: so i'm a little intrigued with you and your dad but also you said (laughs) that there's a set of sisters who are in the group death is one of those things that you always want to talk to family members Mm -hmm. about but sometimes is a hard subject to broach so Mm -hmm. i'm wondering are there other Related sets of people in your book club and has that helped you? Talk about death with your dad in a way that you hadn't before Mm. Well to your first question
3: There's not that I know of yet
2: So that's the challenge with before I die fest is I'll see people show up with maybe their best friend But not their most intimate people in their lives, right? And so you see that a lot where people will need the support of someone but it won't be their person or, right. or their people, it will be someone who is kind of removed, and so that's one thing of having two sets of people who are related. I think it's nice because you can get some historical family perspective,
3: <laughs> yeah. um,
2: or different experiences. I, I mean, I think it would be welcome, but I think it's also nice having a little bit of separation, Yeah. Um, and, and hoping those people that are, you know are taking it back into their lives in other ways.
3: Yeah. Well, it, it is interesting. Like I said to the group at our last meeting, I feel like because my dad and I are in this room together we have had in public in front of however many people are at the group deep conversations about what you want the end of your life to be like and what you value and what is important to you and how you want to be cared for and it's okay if my dad in particular you know dies alone and that's what he wanted so I feel like we had that gift of We've
0: had this conversation. I mean,
2: I don't want that on multiple levels for either of you. Right. But at
0: least you've heard him say it out loud. Right. Uh And I wonder, would that conversation have happened if you weren't in this group together?
3: Yeah, I don't know that it would have. Not for not wanting it to happen, because I think that that my dad and I are both more open than my mom has, or, you know, other family members are about talking about this. But we kind of needed a forum.
1: So... You mentioned some of the books that you all have discussed as part of the book club. Mm -hmm. Can you think off the top of your head some of the books that have maybe sparked some really good discussions?
3: I was thinking last night, actually, about we read The Great Believers by Rebecca Mackay. I think it's pronounced Mackay. And I just really enjoyed that discussion because I feel like a big portion of that book is about the AIDS crisis in the 80s and, and how that hit the gay community.
2: That showed up in like three books in a row that were totally uh, other than the Great Believers, which is about that time period. Right. It yeah. showed up in the Immortalists, yes. and, and then it showed up. And she's come undone. Yeah. And, and it was yeah. interesting to hear. And like, she's come undone. Yeah. She's reacting to her teacher that wasn't out. Right. To her as, as a, in his re- relationship with his partner. Right. And so you see how it shows up in like these different people's lives and how their families react to it. And the Great yeah. Believers was from. Somebody who was an advocate and ally.
3: And in the community.
2: Whereas The Immortalist was coming from sort of an outsider's perspective Mm -hmm. of seeing how people reacted during the crisis.
3: Yeah.
2: And so that was really interesting. Yeah. But we did have an author come last month. We had 35 people there for the discussion.
0: Who was the the author?
2: author? Uh, Lori Erickson. She wrote a, a travelogue called Near the Exit. And so she traveled to Egypt, to Mexico, and she traveled to New Zealand, going to these places that incorporated death as part of their culture in some way. And then places in America, like a nursing home, um, a hospice unit, a cemetery, Mm -hmm. and wrote about it from a travel writer's perspective.
0: Mm. Wow, that sounds really interesting. mm -hmm. And
2: so that Mm -hmm. was the first time we've had like a large conversation. And I think that it lends itself, they both have their strengths. Yeah. I mean, I think our small group like if we, if we were bigger, if like if we were twenty people, I don't know if we would have that level of safety.
0: How many people yeah. are in your
2: group? Twenty or thirty are probably on the Facebook page and yeah. I think we have probably eight that show up regularly. Yeah. But you know, there's these moments of like, Well it'd be great if we had twenty people here, but I don't know if the conversation yeah. could just the the safety piece is so well, so important.
3: Yeah, and at that point it becomes more than one conversation, I think, mm-hmm. when you have that many people, which is not necessarily a bad thing. But you don't get the same kind of intimacy. That
0: this group has. What do you think motivates people to join your book club? <laughs> because some people might think that all of your discussions would be huge downers. So I wouldn't <laughs> think that it's a book club that people are automatically drawn to. Like, oh, yeah.
1: sign me up. What are you doing this Saturday? Drink coffee and talk about dying. I don't
3: know.
2: <laughs> so, so I, I think we all like to read. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I mean, so, like, for instance, like Being Mortal, our, our next book. I, I think that is an entry point for maybe a lot of people right. that have heard about it, read about it, seen the Frontline documentary, Dr. Gwande. It's not challenging to me in the writing style mm-hmm. where Camus it's like I had to work I had to work at Spoon River Right. I had to work at Lincoln and the Bardo yeah. Wendell Berry's The Memory of Old Jack well this is interesting because some people in the group really found the prose to be beautiful mm-hmm. and I found it to feel dated even though the story and the themes I really appreciated and so like, like that hooked me in Yeah. so we're not high flute and literature by any stretch no we're not <laughs> you know, there's not always an immediate hook
3: I I think the people who find the group, uh, we do all have in common that we love to read and we love books, but I don't think it's the book that brings people in. I think that that the people who find this group and do show up and keep showing up have already started thinking and pondering either impermanence or death or loss or have had loss in their lives, and they're just hungry for some place to talk honestly about it. And I feel like there's more people, there's so many more people out there who are looking for some place where they can just be really honest about things ending. And there's not very many places to do that. You know, your family doesn't always want to have that conversation. Sometimes even your person, like your partner, your, your life person doesn't want to have that conversation, but
0: we do. Is there a book that your book club wants to read that you haven't read yet?
2: The
3: Sense of an Ending um, by Julian Barnes.
2: Why haven't we read that yet?
0: I think
3: we just keep forgetting, we meaning I, just keep forgetting to mention it when we do the thing at the end of the meeting where we're like, well, what do you want to read?
2: And so we're going to read that in April, right?
3: Yes, yes, we're going to read The Sense of an Mark Ending in April. <laughs> so this is how decisions are made in the long before the yes. end book club. Where we this d- is how we pick our books.
2: So have you read it?
3: I have, yeah.
2: And so is it a long time ago? considerably different than other things we've read, or is it challenging it, in a different way?
3: I did not find it challenging. It's short, but it's very rich. It's kind of like the memory of old Jack in that it's it follows one person, and mm-hmm. one person's really deeply felt inner life in reaction to this loss.
1: Yeah, I just recently read it not oh, too good. long ago. Good. There's a realization mm-hmm. at the end that it's actually a realization about a life and rather than a death, but that novel goes to the whole idea of those little deaths, those little ways right. in which things change in your life that you have to adapt to, and you have to reflect on. You do have some realizations, whether it's a little death or a big death. Mm-hmm. You, they come with these realizations mm-hmm. about what you experienced. Right.
2: So reading Be Immortal, in the introduction, he talks about the, the death of Ivan Elish. Mm-hmm. For some reason, I'm intimidated by Tolstoy, and I don't really know why. Maybe it's because like I'm just expecting, like, I don't want to read on a rainy day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I would like to eventually read that. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll
3: read that in may okay <laughs>
2: so he describes it as a novella which makes me hopeful yeah. maybe when i think of Tolstoy, i think of like you know tomes like, yeah yeah and, and so i that's part of like right now like i just don't have the bandwidth there's a couple books that i would like to read when you start getting into five to six hundred page realm is more than i can do in a month yeah we meet monthly we talk for an hour and a half every time there's never a lull that well
3: there's not and it If there is a point where nobody's talking, it's kind of a, somebody said something. Thoughtful pause. Yeah.
1: So where do you all meet? And if somebody is interested in learning about the book club, what should they do?
3: So we meet on the second Saturday of every month at Safai Coffee on Bardstown Road from 10 to 1130. If they're interested, we have a Facebook group called Long Before the End Book Group Louisville. So, make sure the Louisville is in there because there is also the National Online Long Before the End book group. You can join our Facebook page. If you are not on Facebook, send an email.
2: If, if you go to Before I Die Fest Lou, mm-hmm. I always have the the book of the month on there. And, and if you, you can email me through the, the website, beforeidielou.com.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about what we're currently reading. We're back with Justin and Rebecca and Carrie. Carrie, what are you reading?
1: So I decided to talk about a book that I reread this past summer. It's called The Crow Road by Ian Banks. I actually read this when I was probably 19 or 20. Bought it when I was across the pond. Ian Banks is a Scottish writer. And this is a book that I fell in love with when I read it. And so it had been so long that I thought, you know what, I don't even remember what that book was about. I don't remember why I loved it. So I reread it this summer and I understand now why I liked it. It is a coming of age story, it's about a, a young man named Prentice and it's about him coming to terms with who he is. And there's also been a number of deaths in his family, which I just picked this, and then when I started thinking about what it was about, I was like, oh, this is a beautiful tie-in to our guest today. It has a great first line. I teach writing to middle and high school students, and, you know, you always see that it was a dark and stormy night, you know, (laughs) the way Snoopy starts his great work. Well, this book has a great opening line. It was the day my grandmother exploded. So that's the first line of The Crow Road. So the other thing that I liked about it, If you were around 19 or 20 in 1993 and you read this book, you kind of get sucked back into that. They bring up the Cocteau twins and, you know, you just think about being in college and being young and being confused about, you know, who you love and do you love that person and your family's giving you grief about, you know, what you're going to be when you become an adult. And so I didn't feel as angsty and like madly in love with it now at 46 as i did when i was 19 or 20. but i'm going to hang on to it because um, it's just kind of a fun book and whenever i see it on the shelf it reminds me of that trip and figuring things out so justin what have you had going on
2: oh goodness um so i usually have three books in the hopper um i have a book that i'm reading for the book club right now i'm reading sharon salzberg's loving kindness and I've been working on it since the summer because basically it's it's not super dense, but it's the kind of thing where I sit and drink my morning tea. And up until we got a puppy, my cat would sit in my lap and I would drink my tea and I would read as much as I could read until the tea was over. And that's how I would start my day with this book. And then I kind of need a good fiction book. And right now I haven't found something, like I'm not really sure what I wanna read. I go through phases where I'll read I'll read the entire Dune series. And by the time I'm done with Dune, like I'm so sick of the author and I'm sick of the world <laughs> that I don't ever want to read another book again by that person. And then at some point I'll come back around to it. I've been thinking about picking up Jasper Ford's The Thursday Next series. I've read the first three books. I was the just Air Affair was the
0: first one, is that the, the, right? Yeah, yeah, The Air Affair.
2: <laughs> I got like three or four books in and I just got tired of it. And now it's been a long time and I'm kind of like, well, what if I go back and read the first one just to kind of get reacclimated? But I, I want something, that, that book that you just, The Crow mm-hmm. Road, it might be interesting. I, I,
1: I forgot I, to I, mention that there's a murder in it too. So it's, it's, it's kind of a, like a murder mystery. No, so, so, so,
2: so I love that opening line. You know, it was the day my grandmother exploded. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I want something that I pick up and I read the first page and I'm just hooked.
0: So for listeners who are not familiar with that jasper ford series how would you describe it
2: so two genres that i do not like i do not like detective stories generally and i'm mediocre about sci-fi but there's something about a woman going into the jane eyre who she literally goes into the book and mrs haversham's from great expectations is her mentor
1: (laughs) i'm all Uh,
2: like 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 there's just like, like like it lit up this part of my brain that was so creative and so funny and you have this this heroine who is trying to deal with this absurdity she's like part of this detective force for literature i mean i mean there's just something about it that's just endearing and it's goofy and it has this british sense of humor that is oddly endearing you know, it makes you want to eat drink Earl Grey and eat little biscuits. <laughs> yeah, keep your pinky out. There's, there's something about like repetition of authors that wears thin. Mm-hmm.
0: I feel that way about series a little bit. I don't like to read long series, or at least not write in a row, because I find it tedious. Mm-hmm. I get tired of those characters, and I want to something different. So I'm not generally a series reader. But I mean, I read all the Harry Potter books, but not all at one time. They were maybe a year apart.
1: Yeah, that's the downside of getting into a series that has already been written, you know, that you feel like, I want to reread His Dark Materials, that trilogy, Mm -hmm. and I'm excited about it. But then at the same time, I'm like, well, if I start one, then I got to read the second one, you know, but there's no law that says I have to read them, boom, 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 I could take a break in between. (laughs) Well, Rebecca, what
3: have you been reading? Well, much like Justin, I often have three or four books in the hopper. I have the reading for this big writing project that I'm working on and then my fun reading. I'm reading a lot of cancer memoirs. For the writing project and I just finished a new one called The Undying by Ann Boyer. Um, Ann Boyer was diagnosed with stage four metastatic breast cancer and it's her exploring that diagnosis and the potential for that being a terminal diagnosis and what that meant to her and she's just really lovely, lovely language. I think she's also a poet so when poets write books that makes me happy. So I just finished that. Just started reading last night this book called The Last Messiah Warriors. It's an autobiography of these two Maasai men who were educated in Western-style schools and learned multiple languages, and it's just the story of their life. You know, I wouldn't call it, like, super great language. You want to read this book for the beautiful words. But it's just a fascinating, really first-hand look at the life of this group of people who I think are sort of mythologized. So that's really interesting. And there's a book of short stories that I found on the remainder pile (laughs) at a bookstore in Boulder by Kelly Barnhill. I love having short stories going because, you know, if I've got like 20 minutes and I want to read something, I want it to be finished. I can just pick it up and read this beautiful short story, and then I have it with me. And hers are like a little bit fantastical and a little bit ornery, and (laughs) they're just wonderful. Yeah.
2: So I, I discovered LeVar Burton's podcast. Oh, Right. And and, and he introduced me to so many short story authors that I I never would have heard of. And like, I want to start picking up some of their work because you're right. Like a short story is something that I can read in 20, 25 minutes or an hour. And, And it's like, it's complete. Or, or you know I can pick it up and put it down so there's some latitude there
0: in his podcast is he reading short stories he's reading short okay. stories mm-hmm. it, it's
2: reading rainbow for adults wow <laughs> yeah. he, he, he uses profanity and hear, hearing the Bar burden <laughs> say this book blew my yeah, okay. in, insert word yes. here mind it's like like we grew up together
0: <laughs>
1: Well, Amy, what have you had going on?
0: So I finished a book called The Last Romantics by Tara Conklin. It's published last year. I won a copy of this book through a Goodreads giveaway. I don't know if any of you are on Goodreads, yeah. but sometimes if you have a book on your want-to-read list and they're doing a giveaway for it, they'll notify you. So I have entered... I don't know, probably 100 giveaways on Goodreads. And I've won two books. This happened to be one of them. So this book, at its essence, is about how the death of a father of a family with young children, how the death of that parent affected those siblings at the time, but also for the rest of their lives, both directly and indirectly. The book has an interesting timeline the present day is actually the year 2079, which sounds very strange and it sounds like it's going to be like futuristic. It's, it's really not. But what the author does is that she's trying to follow these four siblings throughout their lives. And so their ages is similar to ours. They were born in the 60s and 70s. So it would be sort of like taking us through if we were 100 years old. The main protagonist, Fiona Skinner, is 102 years old in 2079. So the story starts, she's become a renowned poet, and her most famous work is called The Love Poem. And it was inspired by things that happened in her family. So she's giving a poetry reading, it's like probably the last one of her life, a final reading. And a young audience member asks her about the poem and what specifically inspired it. So she begins to tell the story of her family. And so that's what this book does. Fiona has three siblings. Renee is the oldest, and she's very independent and driven. And then there's Caroline, who's next in age, and she is more sensitive and more of a traditionalist. And then finally there's Joe, and he's a local baseball star. He's kind of the golden boy, and everybody loves him. And then Fiona, who's who's the baby. So their father dies suddenly when they're young, and it throws the whole family into turmoil. And their mother, Noni, she can't cope with suddenly becoming a widow and being a single parent and also having to be the breadwinner. So she sort of retreats into herself for about three years. And the the siblings call this the pause, and I'm putting that in in air quotes. But basically their mother has severe depression Mm -hmm. and can only really take care of herself. So those kids are almost semi feral. They they are raising themselves because I don't think anybody, neighbors, there are no other family members who live nearby. I don't think they realize that this is happening. So the things that happen during the pause have a major impact on these people then for the rest of their lives. Renee, the oldest, feels like she has to be the mother to all the other siblings and take care of everyone Joe suddenly is the man of the house when he's young because his father dies and he's the protector and that sort of carries over to other parts of his life as well and he especially feels the void of not having a father there and as we follow these characters through their adult lives we see that while their father's death was a long time ago it still has reverberations on the family dynamic up until the end of their lives I enjoyed this book. It reminded me a little bit of The Immortalists that you all were talking about. I'm glad you all read that because I was thinking, oh, that'd be a really cool book for them to read in their book club. (laughs) Um, That book was by Chloe Benjamin, and it's also a story about sibling relationships. This was a very engaging and readable book. I found the timeline interesting because I've never read a book, I don't think, that took me through my life timeline. You just don't often read books where it goes to what would be like the end of your life. I could follow Fiona's life and her siblings into old age, and it was like following my own, and I was I was intrigued by that. There was some narrator point of view switching that I found a little bothersome, but it didn't ruin the book for me. It just was something that, like, if I were her editor, I might have said, pick one or the other. <laughs> <laughs> but that might just be my own personal preference.
2: So in in 2079, I'll be 103 if I live that long. Yeah. And and I hope at 103, I come and speak at a poetry. Right. I know. But at 103, if I'm still around, I hope that I'm active and and hope I can reflect on my life and reflect it accurately.
0: (laughs) I think it's funny that both of the books that we talked about have death as... Maybe not the major component, but a component of the mm-hmm. book. And we didn't really plan that, mm-hmm. but it's kind of like what you're saying. One hundred percent of the books that are yeah. <laughs> are melted
1: up, yeah, in some form or another. Well, when we come back, we are going to ask Justin and Rebecca, their top five or six. We forget how to count on this show. We are back with Justin and Rebecca, and we are going to ask them their top questions. Justin, uh, you mentioned that you have a cat. What is the top thing your cat does that makes you laugh?
2: So right now, my cat is not making me laugh. She is very upset at me because we got a puppy. (laughs) Oh. And he, he is four months old, and he is adorable. She will get in my lap still, but basically she is living in the bathroom (laughs) <laughs> we crate him, and she has run of the house. But what we love is I wake up in the morning, and I'm laying there in bed, and she'll get up on my chest and just purr. My wife and I both get snuggle time with Elsa.
1: Are you concerned at all that she might, you know, in her anger, scratch your eyeballs out while she's near your <laughs> face at this point? <laughs> so,
2: so, so Caitlin Doty has written about this, and, and, and the cat will eat my eyes. So, yes, she's really sweet. So we're, we're hoping that we can... Come to peace in my house in the next couple weeks. Where we, it's a playful banter back and forth, and not.
0: No eyeball eating. Okay. So, Rebecca, you're a fan of true crime podcasts. What is the top thing you enjoy about listening to that genre, and what is a favorite of yours?
3: The the true crime podcast that I listened to, I got into because of the humanity. The one that got me hooked is called Case File, all one word. And what Case File does really well is both the person that the crime happened to and the the perpetrator of the crime really gives good backstory. It's like hearing a, a well researched novel. And I also enjoy the kind of serial nature. There's a podcast called In the Dark that just finished up their season and they followed the case of Curtis Flowers, who was tried six times for the same crime and his last conviction was thrown out and he's free. But they did Incredible, incredible amount of investigation and just dug deep into the the crime, what happened, spent hours and hours going through documents. So I I love humans doing that kind of detail to look at other humans Mm -hmm. and why they behave
0: like they behave. Did you ever listen to Serial? oh yes I mean that one's so old school now but that was the first podcast that I ever listened to a friend suggested and I didn't even really know how to listen to a podcast and she's like I must show you because you must listen (laughs) to that So the (laughs) the first season of Serial was really awesome. And S-Town. I don't know if you ever listened to um, S-Town. Rebecca
2: turned me on to S-Town. Yes, Yes.
0: that was a really good
3: one. Right, I remember right when I was moving to Louisville, that was on, and I was sitting in my empty apartment listening to S-Town, sitting on the counter because my furniture wasn't there yet.
1: (laughs) Justin, so you develop education programs related to caring for aging adults. What do you think is the top positive aspect of aging that people sometimes forget?
2: So I I think the top positive part of aging and that our culture could really learn to embrace is the fact that people have this wealth of of life experience and we need to find more ways to help people cultivate that and share that and really the benefit of intergenerational interaction. And so I, I think that that's the biggest thing that I see. And we do an annual luncheon in September. So the gold standard luncheon last year, the last person to stand up and speak, I had to basically stand up in front of 300 people and hand her a microphone and then kind of duck down. And we had this 85 year old woman basically give this like thing about what she was going to do as she aged and she got to the end and she said something in Latin. In case you didn't understand that, I just encourage you all to go skinny dipping. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and so I had to stand up and take the microphone from her. And this entire room is roaring with laughter. And so I, I think we don't have enough containers to show that kind of interaction and provide that kind of platform. So I think finding ways to create interaction and really draw out people's stories is really something that's a missed opportunity.
0: Rebecca, you are a massage therapist by trade. What's the top thing that drew you to that profession? <laughs>
3: I became a massage therapist because I wanted to work with old people. I mean, honestly, I I was working in a retirement community and doing marketing or some silly thing like that. It's not that marketing is silly. It's silly for me to be doing marketing. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And I realized that the best part of my day was when I interacted with people. And I also realized, because I did work in a nursing home, that nobody touched the people who live there unless it was to change their clothes or give them a bath or you know clean them in some way and it was just really sad to me so I went to massage school and here I am.
1: Justin you you mentioned that you meditate so do you have a top favorite place to meditate and where is it and why is it your top? So my favorite
2: place to meditate is a Zen retreat center in eastern Kentucky called Furnace Mountain and it's actually on a mountain called Furnace Mountain. So I think it's in Clay County. It's on the way to the Daniel Boone. And I, I don't really believe in geomancy, but I do believe in feng shui in the sense that like, there's this traditional Korean temple in Appalachia that overlooks this beautiful valley. And there's just something about going there, that it, it's remote, but it's close enough that I can get there within two hours.
0: So it's a Korean temple?
2: Yeah, so it was part of the Kwanin school of, of Korean Buddhism and their former master helped found it. Huh. So yes, it's it's built in a traditional Korean design and it's I mean when you when you see pictures of it you feel like you're somewhere else that you're not in in Appalachia.
0: So last question Rebecca, you mentioned that you like to dance for stress relief. What's your top kind of dancing to do <laughs> and why that one? <laughs> other
3: than flailing around in my kitchen, which is awesome, everyone should do that. So I belly dance, and I got into that about five years ago at the time when I was having a major life transition and just needed something joyful to do. I've been been doing that for five years and it's just an amazing way to realize that your spine is supposed to move and that your body is supposed to be a place of joy and comfort and not something to be battled.
0: Do you take belly dancing classes? Or? Um, not here, I did when I lived in Chicago. I lived
3: in Chicago before here. And I actually take classes online with my teacher in Chicago because oh. I love her so much. But there are classes here. Um, there are teachers who are quite good at Horizons Dance Theater. There's a couple of belly dance classes. And there are a couple of teachers in Indiana as well, um, just over the river, so.
1: I know this is gonna sound like an idiotic question, but a person doesn't have to be particularly limber when they start doing belly dancing. Lord, no. Okay. No. okay.
3: No, you don't. Need, you don't have to be anything other than a human being Do you who have wants a body? to move. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. okay. Do you have a body? Check. But this is the thing that I love about belly dancing too: is that it's unlike things like ballet, where there's a particular body type and, and a particular look. I mean, you see people who look like everything. And that's, I think it's beautiful. It's very equal opportunity. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: Well, Justin and Rebecca, thank you both so much for being on the show. We appreciate learning about Long Before the End Book Club. So, Justin, we had had you and Rebecca on when we recorded this episode initially in mid-February, so before COVID-19 was on anybody's radar. I'm curious How has the pandemic and the quarantine impacted the book club? I can't believe
2: that was only mid-February because that seems much longer than that. And it's only early April. Okay, so we were here in mid-February. So that means we were mid-period between reading *Being Mortal* and our in-person book club. As we finished the book the week before the book club, Rebecca, Lynn, and myself were kind of like the three really, really long time active members and not trust their judgment. I checked in with them and said, should we meet on Saturday? And they both said that they thought we should and that we should take you know the universal CDC precautions. So we met and I had this feeling that there might be people in our group because a lot of our members are over 70 that may not feel comfortable coming in person. So I decided to create a Zoom link and share it with the group and say that anybody that was not comfortable coming in person would be able to join via Zoom. And only one person took us up on that. So we met in person on Saturday, the 14th of March. And as people started showing up for the book club, we started having to bring in more chairs. And we ended up having all of our regular members, three people who had never come to a book club, and then somebody that had never come to the book club, join us online. So we oh, wow. ended up having like our largest book club ever. You know, we started out with like a lot of space between us. Well, you know, at this point, six feet, three feet seems like a luxury. <laughs> right? And of course, you know, we're sitting there talking about the, the contents of being mortal and talking about our own mortality and talking about, you know, how do we make sense of this? And it was a really rich discussion. And what was amazing about it to me is, in the past, Rebecca and I have been the youngest members of the club. And so we're in our mid-40s, and everyone else is more in our parents' generation, so late 60s to mid-70s. And that day, we had some young people in their early 30s. And so we really had a truly intergenerational conversation of perspectives and this recognition of oh my gosh, you know, we're unprepared for this conversation. You know, at that point, we couldn't really foresee what was coming, although we had a sense of it. I'm a massage therapist by trade. I had made the decision that I was going to cancel all my upcoming appointments. And that was before the governor had released any kind of shelter in place or healthy at home or, you know, closing non-essential businesses. That came the following Wednesday. But I had the sense in my head of, you know, things are about to really change. You know, This is something that I think people are really recognizing that there's a need to talk about it and a need to find some way to make sense of it. And and because I've been having these conversations for so long, people are kind of coming to me and, you know, what are you thinking about about this? Or, you know, what are people in your spheres talking about this? I think we're just recognizing that if this virus is is, as bad as we believe it to be, you know, it's going to change a lot of people's lives. And it, it is changing the way people work and the way people do their everyday tasks. So,
1: I mean, you've been immersed in this discussion and in the mindset of thinking about the end. Do you feel like because of COVID-19, that's changed how you're reading the book and, and what you're thinking you'll want to bring to the conversation on Saturday with your book club members?
2: I do recognize the, the impact it has on people when they grieve. And particularly right now, So for example, I have a colleague whose spouse died suddenly in early March and they postponed the memorial service until last weekend. And now it's postponed indefinitely, but I've been checking in with them by email because they they live alone and they're not even able to to mourn in the normal sense where people are able to come over and give them a hug and go out for coffee or because I am so closely affiliated with a hospice organization. I'm seeing the effects. That, well, I, I haven't seen so much on the the patient side because I, I can't visit patients. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you have people that are in hospital beds. They can't have visitors, except for maybe like one visitor. You have people in long-term care facilities whose loved ones can't come in to see them, or it's difficult or impossible for the hospice team to come in and visit them. I mean, you're seeing this, this across multiple sectors where the normal script, the normal procedures, which are difficult in the best of circumstances, are now just totally obliterated. And so mm-hmm. you, you have organizations and families struggling to even get basic social interaction, basics, you know, which is really healthy and in, in part of the process that's even out the window. So I, I think we're going to see some pretty dramatic changes. And I don't want to be Pollyanna about it, but what you are seeing is you are seeing people finding ways to connect through virtually you are seeing the covid-19 match there was a woman who had a disability who recognized that people who are at risk or isolated already not being able to go out and people that are going to have extra time on their hands could she partner them for some kind of reciprocation so maybe the volunteer would bring them groceries mm-hmm. or the volunteer might come and cut their grass i mean just things like this basic human needs and so i think you're going to see mutual aid networks popping up such as that, I think you're going to find people finding creative ways to make masks, for instance, or Mm -hmm. a friend of mine is an artist, and he's extremely gifted. and, And I ended up catching him close to where I live doing a mural on someone's garage door. And he said that he's out of work, and it's what he knows how to do. And people are commissioning him no, for, for modest amounts of money, but he's able to go and do something that he loves, that he feels is beautiful and, and adds some level of joy to people's lives, and it, it helps him connect. I, I don't want to say that it's going to bring out the best in everyone, but I think that it is asking people to step forward in a way that offers connection and a recognition that maybe before people were suffering and they felt isolated— And now we're all recognizing that we're in the same boat.
1: There's variations on suffering. But I I do think what this has made me think about a lot is my suffering in relation to other people's and and also loss. I mean, as you said, it's not just mortality and that loss. It's the loss of routine. It's the loss of structure and I think we had talked about this your book club talks about loss I mean that's what death is and this pandemic is making people think about lots of different ways and variations on loss which is difficult but it's also what forces you to to change hopefully in positive ways I know with Amy and I We had put off, you know, a we'll figure out remote recording at some point down the road, later, later. But in order for us to keep doing this, we had to recognize, okay, we've lost this ability. We have to readjust. And I feel like that's a positive. Not everybody can do that, though. And so you have to be empathetic and understand that not everybody's able to switch gears At all, or quickly. I hope that it helps people understand other people and their situations a little better.
2: Brene Brown has this a podcast that came out where she talks about comparative suffering, and she said a couple things about it. But it really made sense to me that it's like we're all suffering. Growing up, you know, you would hear someone say, "Oh, well, you know, there's there's starving kids in Africa that would be really grateful for that." You know, you know, I mean, that that's kind of the rationale that it's like to kind of minimize the suffering of someone else. And it's all relative, particularly like like talking about your children earlier before we got on the suffering of a 16 year old. It might seem trivial to an adult, but their life experience is so much shorter. They don't have a, a point of reference. And, you know, so seniors that are getting ready to graduate that aren't going to have prom and aren't going to have graduation. Th- there's a cynical part of me as an adult. that's, eh, what's the big deal? But for them, it's something that their whole calendar year has pivoted around. I, I just think it's really important to not minimize our own or other people's suffering, but also to try and hold perspective. And those two things are often in conflict.
1: So your book club, the Before the End book club, will be meeting virtually on Saturday, April 11th. What time is that again?
2: From 10 to 1130. You know, we're in the middle of reading The Sense of an Ending by Julian Barnes if people are interested, even if you haven't read the book, you're more than welcome to join us. The, the Zoom information is on the Before I Die website, and that's com. If you have any questions, you can always contact me through the website. So, you know, if you ever have questions or you want to join us, people are always welcome. I, th- I think that talking about this and really giving people space to just be open and honest is, is really important.
1: Thank you so much for sharing your book club with us and and allowing us to share it with others. I think it's timely for sure with everything that's going on. So we appreciate you being willing to get on Zencaster and record with us and give us an update. We appreciate that.
2: Thank you. This has been a a pleasure and I I wish you all well and wash your hands and don't touch your face.
1: Absolutely. We're following those rules.
0: (laughs) Thanks for joining us today. For show notes for any episode, please go to our blog site at www.perksofbeingabooklover.com. Follow us on Facebook at Perks of Being a Book Lover and on Instagram at Perks of Being a Book Lover Pod to see what we're up to and when new episodes air. If you enjoy our show, spread the word and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That helps other listeners find us. Finally, a huge thank you to Forward Radio 106.5 FM, a grassroots community-based radio station in Louisville, Kentucky. You can find our show there, live or in archives, at forwardradio.org, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts.